Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Stay the Art. I'm Vanessa, the show producer, and I'll be filling in for Andrew while he's on paternity leave for the next week. Last week, we aired our 100th episode, which happened to be with guest host Michelle Hartney, who did an amazing job leading discussions around art and morality for the month of July. In celebration of reaching 100 and watching our listenership grow throughout the evolution of State of the Art, today we'll be highlighting sound bites from our guest hosts. Guest hosting is an experiment we introduced at the beginning of the year as a way to diversify not only the voices on the podcast, but also the content of the show opening up the platform to include the various facets which has shaped the state of art as we know it today. Our first round of collaborators included curator Trey Borden, who explored the Black creative in February, street artist Meg Zaney, who tackled sex positivity in the arts during the month of March, academic curator and artist Dorothy Santos, who guided us through queerness for the month of June, And finally, artist and activist Michelle Hartney with Art and Morality this past July. So as we prepare for our next month of interviews, which will take us back to our art and tech roots, let's take a quick listen to some of the best sound bites from 2019's guest hosts. I mean, I'm at a point in my life where I'm less concerned with how non-Blacks are labeling me. Um, I... I don't want to focus my energy on how non-Blacks are positioning Black folks in time and space. I'm, at this point in my career, am more, much more concerned with how Black people are positioning each other mm. in, in time and space and how, they're, how Black people are imposing Blackness on themselves and their communities, their immediate communities. It's funny because the position that a lot of Black folks are in, and I can only really speak to the Black creative community because that's the community that I'm in every day. Um, I think people don't quite know how to survive or how to sustain themselves and are negotiating these things on a daily basis. Like, how, how do I support my Blackness in a city that doesn't really care about Blackness? Like, how, how can I archive the a history that I'm actively building right now. Um, how can I be in conversation with someone uh, about my blackness without being, you know, without being tokenized? How do you feel about the label sex object? Uh, I hate it, you know, because it's just like uh, nobody should be, nobody's purpose should be for someone else's gaze, you know? When you're objectified, it just it takes away that special element of owning yourself. You know, it's like coming from someone else's perspective of you and how they feel about you. And to be objectified, it's like, uh, I would just rather have people take their own experiences and own them rather than, you know, it coming from someone else's perspective. Because that can be dishonest or, you know, it can be incorrect. And when it's your own experience that you're betraying, it's much more honest and authentic and people can relate to it. But when you're objectified, it's like hard to relate to that because it's just someone else's weird opinion of you. So in the U.S., Christianity is seen as queerness as seen as immoral versus in Asian Confucianism, Mm -hmm. it's seen as 
it's it's you've you've said this that it's characterized as more of an affront or a rejection of this you know uh, filial piety. So yep. so even queerness is being queered. So it's kind of like this multi-layered thing that's happening, and I think that's one of the reasons why you've mentioned Clamp as you know uh, an, an an interesting collective to look at because they're looking at. If you could talk a little bit about something that they've done in relation to their queer characters and, you know, queerness related to family and queerness related to this idea of not bearing children. Yeah. Um, that's definitely a sore topic. I think, um, it's very prevalent. Um, I'm, I'm familiar. I I cannot say that, you know, I understand the the rhetoric in the Western world, like, you know, especially in terms in relation to Christianity, although, you know, per, like through talking to my friends, their lived experience, I can understand the expectations of that. There's a religious guilt that comes with, you know, queerness. Whereas in uh, East Asia, I'm going to kind of narrow the scope a little bit. Um, a lot of them are from Philip Piety, the, the failure, the failure to create a family of your own or failure to sustain the, the family bloodline, right? Um, and then that guilt is about the, the ability, to, uh, inability to deliver. Um, and I think to me, um, clamp becomes very interesting in, in this in this way because when I was younger, I I identify with the queer character. So, for instance, there are different ways ways to portray queerness. In some of the work, the queer character they're angels, they're non-human, so they have they are, you know, they don't have the very pronounced male or female characteristics. So you're just kind of like they're queer because they don't have a gender. And the conversation comes up like we're like, oh, how are we gonna have children? Are we going to be happy without children? Um, and then the other in other cases where this is a bit, bit of a stretch from queerness, but they also look at non-human subjects such as like uh, androids. So uh, androids fall in love with a human. And they have the same issue is that you're not going to have a baby. How are you going to deal with that? Um, and then there's also the case where two queer, uh, like, you know, two uh, male and two female characters when they're in love, um, even though they're not um, talking about in a very pronounced way, the the thing that's lingering is that, well, what's going to happen with family? So what Clem is, is they're very smartly or, or kind of sneakily doing here is that they're basically thinking about the kind of like the the barren children um but then this is a rhetoric mostly adapt um being used for feminism fem- feminism in japan so they're thinking that well how do we imagine a pure love that it that is without the anxiety of childbearing contextualizing artwork that's shown in museums is one way of dealing with male artists who are guilty of treating women horribly but there has been criticism against this Uh, One of the reasons being because it takes away from the viewer's pure aesthetic relationship to the art. Um, What do you think of this defense against (laughs) contextualizing? Not, you know, not much. I mean, formalism, uh, you know, we still have a hangover of formalism that says that the only thing that really matters is the work of art out out of its context. It stands on its own. Well, it's really hard to understand any kind of art. Look at, you know, Renaissance art and and particularly early Christian art. There's no way to understand it without understanding the context in which it was made. So uh, I think that that's really a a very weak and uh, a very uninformed uh, opinion. You always have to know where art sits. Um, you know, it, it's it's never above this, the circumstances in which it was um, 
made. And also those circumstances are super, super interesting. And to know the way an artist behaved uh, is you know, really another aspect of his or her work. I mean, we all want to know about Caravaggio's secret life, don't we? Or Leonardo's secret life. No one has said that we shouldn't talk about that. We only need to look at the Sistine Chapel. Thank you for tuning in to this mini episode of State of the Art. Before I sign off, I want to mention something longtime listeners know, which is that we focus our discussions around monthly themes. That being said, we are constantly working to push ourselves to address topics that you, the listener, are interested in. So please feel free to reach out to us if you have a theme suggestion, an artist, curator, or art patron that we should be paying attention to. You can find and DM us on Instagram at State of the Art, or you can message me directly at Vanessa at thestateoftheart.org. So until next time, cheers!